Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you and yours are keeping safe and sound and everything else. Uh, I'm recording on Thursday evening, not long after our 1-0 defeat to Olympiacos. How long? Well, long enough for the defeat to digest, but also for Tottenham to get knocked out of Europe in extra time, having taken a two-goal lead into their second leg. It is, as the man says... It's the history of the Tottenham. And as the very wise woman once sang... And it's all just a little bit of history repeating... So there you go. There's a nice, bright way to start this particular episode of the Arsecast with me to discuss the Arsenal game, but first to talk about what happened to Tottenham. We have to. It's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. What a goodly evening it is. It is a goodly evening. Yes, you can <laughs> you can co-op that phrase for this evening. Um, yeah, why not? Why not, indeed. Yeah. Look, is it not the most Tottenham thing of all time to lose the North London derby and then go on and blow a two-goal lead in Europe to a team whose coach was sent to prison this week. Was it this week or I can't remember, but he's in it, prison. It was this week, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's the type of game that you, you might imagine you'd cock up if you were like against the backdrop of a really raucous crowd or something, but yeah. with literally nobody there. <laughs> um, it's hilarious. Look, I know um, we, we're 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 guilty of it ourselves as a club. You know, we're guilty of uh, making things difficult for ourselves. That's the way we like to phrase it. We don't like to do things the easy way. But like, regardless of what we do, however long we try, if we went to university to get a master's degree in fucking things up, we could not even dream of coming close to the things that that they do. It's 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 so good, and it's just sort of multiplied by the fact that it's Mourinho in yes. charge. You know, he's had such a terrible week. There've got to be massive questions about his future at the club. And the one thing that Dan Levy isn't going to want to do is get rid of him because he spent so much money bringing him in. And I don't know a single Tottenham fan who likes him or likes the football that they play with him. It's just, oh, it's just such it's, a wonderful thing. It's kind of funny you should say that because I just happened to look on Twitter this evening. Um, you know, James was talking about the Tottenham fans that he knows yeah. after the North London. I don't know any. I, do, I, I just don't know any. There aren't many here in Ireland. There's about five, I think, in total. Um, but I, I looked on Twitter just to see what the see what the story was, see who, how people were were feeling about it, and there is a fair amount of Jose out stuff. For example, 
watching the game with my daughter, and she just said, life is too short for this. She's eight. <laughs> Uh, Another absolutely disgraceful, completely unacceptable, an absolute, complete and utter shambles shameful. There are not enough words to describe that from Spurs. Not good enough. Come on, you Spurs. And then also Mourinho out. Uh, Another one. I expect to be seeing an alert come through tomorrow notifying me Mourinho has finally been given the fucking boot. Hashtag Mourinho out. If Maureen don't walk away, then we are in the presence of the greediest piece of shit known in football. The bloke's poisonous. The fact that he has any faith in dire is proof of that. Hashtag Mourinho out. Uh, Another one. If he survives the night, I'll be even more monumentally fucked off than I already am. The man is a fucking disgrace. Worst Spurs manager since gross. Hashtag Mourinho out. Another one. The football might be boring, but at least he'll win us trophies. Oh, hashtag Mourinho out and get that prick out of our club and about 11 players with him I want our club back and with this clown in charge and players who aren't even good enough for the championship we have no chance joke club hashtag Mourinho out and the creme de la creme the final one from this one Jose Mourinho couldn't motivate a cokehead to do a line of Margot Robbie's arsehole which you know is I don't quite know (laughs) hashtag Mourinho out by the way um I mean, that would be difficult in any circumstances, regardless of whose arsehole you were trying to snort coke off. But I kind of see where he was coming from, but he got a little bit mixed up there. I guess it's the anger and frustration that got to him. I think we could just end the podcast there, can't we? <laughs> Thank you for listening. It's uh, been a pleasure. <laughs> oh, dear. My goodness. Um, I mean, it does It does incredibly soften the blow of of, you know, okay, the blow is probably a bit too much uh, overstating it in terms of what happened to us and, and we lost a game and losing a game is never good, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there, there, there might have been greater frustrations had we lost the game and also gone out. We lost and we've gone through. So, you know, uh, by that standards, we're in a good place, even though we, we couldn't score uh, ourselves tonight. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, look, I was pretty miffed when the final whistle went at the Emirates. I was a bit like, well, that's just annoying. And, um, you know, we, we were exchanging messages and I was focusing mm. on doing the, the post-match stuff. And I was like, you know, I better better not tune into the Spurs. I've got to do the Arteta quotes and stuff. Yeah. But then you messaged me to say that they were losing. And I was suddenly like, smile on my face. Everything is better. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The sky is blue tomorrow. Um, we're all going to have a lovely weekend. It's great. Yeah. No, I mean, look. I don't, I don't really know where their season goes from here. I think they've got what they've got the League Cup final, which will basically be one of the last games of the season, won't it? Because it's been delayed. So hopefully, oh, City it, yeah. will do them over in that. Right. And then, um, and then they won't even have. Well, they probably won't have any form of European football. I mean, do you get into the? Um, do you get into European football if you win the 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 EFL, the Carabao Cup? I mean, what? Well, what? yeah, you'd get into the Europa Conference League. I mean, there's part of me that yeah, while I wouldn't enjoy, that, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily enjoy their, you know, I mean, see, that's the thing about the League Cup. You know, you can win it and you still can't say you've won a major trophy, can you? Because people are like, well, the FA Cup is just about a major trophy these days. People, even Arsenal fans have gone like, FA Cup, you know, we don't need to win any more of those. We've won enough of them. I'm not saying I'm one of them. I love the FA Cup. I think it's great. But there are some who go, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that's not good enough for a club like Arsenal, which is fair enough if you if you hold that opinion. Whereas you can't even make that case with the League Cup. You can't say, well, at last we put an end to our trophyless years. I mean, it is a trophy, but it's 
sort of like you know the kid in school who comes last in every race and they give him a they give him an egg cup or something just to make him feel special it's a bit like that it's it's the tournament that man city just used to kind of warm up you know it's sort yeah. of a you know it's a it's a nothing for everybody else they just go at it and then kind of keep themselves ticking over until they go for something that really matters but yeah look i mean it's it's been a it's it's been a it's been a good night for arsenal even though it's been a sort of bad night for arsenal yeah i mean let's yeah. Let's broaden it out a bit then as we turn our attention away from uh, the history of the Tottenham to to Arsenal. You know, it wasn't a great night, but can we say, uh, and I think we can actually, uh, it's been a good week. It has been a good week for Arsenal. You know, we did what we needed to do over there. We didn't do well tonight, but, you know, the, the aim is to qualify for the next stage of the competition. We did that, and in the middle of it, yeah, sandwiched between that was a North London derby win. And it's hard not to think that, you know, even though the player uh, who didn't play in the North London derby and had all the chances to score tonight uh, didn't take them. And, you know, he wasn't there. But it, it felt very much like a performance that was influenced by the effort that we put in on, on Sunday. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Arteta kind of referenced that. He was directly asked a question whether he thought, you know, fatigue was a part. And he did point out that, you know, he'd made five changes and that really the, the mm. fatigue shouldn't have been a, an issue. But I, I just think psychologically, when you've got that advantage, it is so, so difficult for the players to compartmentalise what they're supposed to be doing on the pitch. Like, we obviously got very, very nervous at the first sight of Olympiacos really going mm. for us. And that was something that, you know, it was a bit of a hangover from those last 15 minutes of the weekend as well. And um, it's a bad it's a bad habit to, to get into because really what you want from an Arsenal team with an advantage like that against a side who, they're, they're all right. Olympiacos, mm. they're not great. You want them to just, you just want us to go at them from the off, get an early goal, kill the game. And I guess, you know, tonight really was a case of, some bad decision making on the ball and some bad finishing wasn't it yeah I mean, that was peppered all the way through that was the the interesting thing because I, I did watch the Arteta post-game interview and and you can look at the chances that we had and we had really good chances to score goals there was the Aubameyang mm. one early on that he put over the bar there was the Aubameyang one when he was clean through on goal there was the Martin Odegaard one where uh, you know, he spooned it over the bar as well after yeah. making a good space to shoot. There was the Pepe one, which I think he was unlucky with. I think that was going in, but it hit Emil Smith Road. There was the other Aubameyang one late on, which was a, you know, a really clever flick in fairness and a good save from the goalkeeper. But then he followed it up by, you know, hooking the ball over the bar from three inches. So, you know, he kind of <laughs> sort of summed up his night in a way. And I was expecting Arteta to be a bit more look, you know, we've got to take these chances. It's a theme that he has explored more than once uh, this yeah. season, the finishing. But he he talked about the the decision-making and giving away the ball cheaply and not doing what we should do with the ball. And I think, I think that's interesting, and I think he's right in a way. Because, you know, if you weren't making chances, you could say, well, look, that's a big problem. But when you are making the chances, you know, you, you can improve that quite easily by just being a bit more effective, like very slightly more effective in front of goal uh, would would lead to goals, you know, given the, the general quality of Aubameyang. But, you know, you can't control games properly 
when you give the ball away the way we gave the ball away and you can put pressure on the opposition uh, much more easily and readily when you're secure. And like, it was quite interesting that after he conceded, he took off Sabayas and Elneny, and I completely understood why he did that. And there was this little bump, and I think Odegaard had a positive influence. But then Partey, Thomas Partey came on and, and was like just as bad as Elneny or Sabayas. And that kind of impacted the way those final stages of the game went. Yeah, I mean, Partey had about a five, ten minute spell where he gave the ball away, I don't know, two, three times and he mm. gave away another one of those silly fouls on the edge of the box, which was kind of really frustrating. And he kind of looked like a guy who didn't really want the ball for a couple of minutes. And then he sort of settled down again. I mean, obviously, we were lucky that they went down to 10 men with those final few minutes as well. I thought, I mean, Ceballos... He, I mean, he created two chances right in the first half. There was the first one where Pepe just nicked it past the keeper and then um, the ball dribbled past the post after it took a deflection. Mm. And then he also set up Aubameyang for that really good chance. And in that respect, his positional play and his being in the number 10 position and, you know, you can't ask for too much more, created two chances. But almost every time he got the ball, I did feel like he was maybe holding on to it for just a split second too long. Mm. Like he takes an extra touch. And obviously in their goal, that's exactly what happened. It was mm. a bit, I mean, I don't want to, it's, it's maybe a bit far-fetched to say it's a, a similar situation to the, the Burnley goal that we conceded, but it was Ceballos getting caught on the ball and then suddenly a turnover. Yeah. <laughs> within a few seconds, the ball's in the back of the net. Yeah. And, you know, he's. we know he's better than that because he's had, this is like the third time he's come on. And you think back to the Benfica game as well, when he, he had that mistake and cost us a goal. So that's three goals that have come from individual errors there. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's had a bad run of luck and I get the feeling now that, you know, he doesn't necessarily see his long-term future at Arsenal past this season. So he's sort of mm. running out of time to make an impact at this point. Not checked out. Yeah. I know what you mean. No, um, not checked out, but he's kind of, he looks visibly frustrated that he can't, you know, he's he's not kind of being trusted to be the big guy. And I feel like that's taking a toll on his confidence. And then when he's on the pitch, he's making mistakes. And um, yeah, he's just not going for him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he was he was brought in to play the Odegaard role tonight. And I thought he started pretty brightly. And he did make that chance for Aubameyang um, that, that, you know, should have been an assist to his name. It should have been a goal for Aubameyang. But... I don't know what it is about the legs of Danny Ceballos. They just do not work um, the way that they should or the, the way that uh, a professional yeah. footballer's legs should work. He seems to run like it's like someone's put lead boots on him or whatever it is. When Odegaard comes on, you can see the difference in, in how quickly he moves, how lightly he steps. And Ceballos, mm. he trudges around the pitch. You know, I don't know if he's got an injury or if that's just kind of who he is. We've seen that a, a fair bit from him. And look, there was more to the goal as well, in fairness. It was a bad decision on his part because we had a, we had a break on. We had a good break mm. on and he, he dallied. He took too many touches. That's another flaw in his game. But, you know, I don't think we defensively covered ourselves in in glory either no i mean what well, we were backtracking and mm. louise kind of allowed the guy to cut in onto his right foot i mean i have lost count of the number of times that balls seem to deflect off our players and go straight past the goalkeeper and, and in that respect leno was pretty unlucky but yeah i mean it really felt like we needed to go to the player to stop him from doing that i mean mm. this bloke's it's a third goal he scored against us in in, in four games he must I mean, love playing against us it's like the new drogba um <laughs> so yeah i mean that was 
I mean, that was enough to make me sort of shout at the TV. I was angry, you know, and at that point I did feel like we were a bit on the rocks. And, you know, Arteta, when he made those changes, I mean, he really made wasted no time they were very much the type of change that i think any supporter on you know following yeah. the game would have made he was like those two are not doing what i need them to do i'm going to send on two better players and yeah i mean i thought Erdegaard was good you know mm. i think um he really does bring something a level of control to to games I'm, I'm really impressed by him and you know when you compare him to some other players who've, who've come into uh, the club in a January window. I mean, it's it's really, really impressive that he's hit the ground running. Yeah. You know, having never played in England and not even really with that huge amount of experience um, in Spain. I mean, I know no. he's done well in Holland and stuff. Yeah, he did well in his loan spells. I mean, wherever he's gone, he's yeah. done pretty well on loan, which I think is... Um you know, as a testament to the quality of the player and the fact that we're all sitting here and we would, we can all see an Arsenal future with, with Martin Odegaard as part of it. You know, it's, it's really easy to see that, you know, the, the, the sort of, um, the impact he has made as a player when he's come in has been, uh, has been really obvious. And, you know, I want, uh, Arsenal to make an attempt to sign him. I mean, the thing about it is, is you look at Ceballos and he's talked about like how he wants to go back to Spain and how he wants to be a Real Madrid player and I'm, I'm looking at him going that's not going to happen <laughs> like it's you're not going to mm. be a Real Madrid player I can I can see why you know you're out on loan with us for a couple of years um but I can also see that he's not going to be he's not going to be a guy who does what we need one of our midfield players to do you know so uh, he's in a weird position Sabios, in that he probably knows now you know he's not a regular in the team He's not playing particularly well. His his numbers don't really convince. Uh, you know, Arsenal with limited funds are not going to go out of their way to sign Danny Ceballos, whereas Martin Odegaard is definitely somebody that, you know, if we can make it happen, we should try and make it happen. The the, the problem, of course, is the, the, the better he plays, the more likely it is that Real Madrid might want him to stay. And that's that's one of the challenges that we're going to have to face, isn't it? That, you know, I'm hoping behind the scenes that there are conversations. I mean, Arteta clearly loves him, like really likes him. You can see that and you know um, when Arteta likes a player and when he's sort of uh, not indifferent, but when he's not quite convinced by a player, that's obvious too. He likes Martin Odegaard a lot. So, I mean, the one thing that we have um, going for us is this, uh, his presence and the ability to have conversations with him, the ability to sort of sell him on a project and say, look, you could be the linchpin, the attacking creative linchpin of this team, of this club going forward. You know, how about it? Um, how likely it is, I, I don't quite know, but um, I'm, based on what I've seen of him, absolutely convinced that we should be doing everything we can this summer to to bring him in on a permanent basis. Yeah, I think Arteta sees a bit of himself in Odegaard, actually. Um, there's something about, you know, the fact that he kind of left his home country at a young age to mm. go and establish himself somewhere else. You know, the fact that there's that Sociedad link, the fact that, you know, a young oh, Arteta yeah. was very much a kind of attacking midfielder, someone yeah. who, who played in that similar role. You know, he'd carry the ball, he'd shoot, he was an attacking threat. Um, I Yeah, I, I just, it's something about the way the guy carries himself. You know, you see him 
pushing the high press, his arms are up, he's beckoning his teammates, he's pointing them around. Mm. There's that leadership quality that he just keeps on banging about. And look, I, I mean, it's interesting. Almost every one of these Europa League press conferences that come up before and after the games, <laughs> you get the continental press asking the same question, which is how but, impressed are you by Merton Erdegaard? Well, it's, it's, it's the Norwegian press. I mean, <laughs> it's the Norwegian press. I mean, they, they, they love asking yeah. that question. And every week, you know, Arteta is... Um, you know, gushing in his praise for, yeah. for the young lad. And, you know, given that he's not always that way with a lot of players, you know, he quite often kind of is keen to tell people to get their head down, focus on the basics, you know, they mm. can always improve and all the rest of it. He's, yeah, I mean, he really likes him, really likes him. Yeah, I don't blame him. I really don't blame him. And I think it hadn't occurred to me, you know, that... Um, Arteta might see a bit of himself in Odegaard because I think a lot of people just remember Arteta as the guy who played as a, you know, slotted mm. back in as a defensive midfielder for for Arsenal when he arrived. I mean, he was, what, 29, I think, when he arrived at the club. So he was sort of heading into the September of his career anyway. But at Everton and uh, in Scotland as well, you know, he was an attacking player. He played and he was creative and he scored goals and he took free kicks and, you know, yeah, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And if the, look, if there's a good connection between Arteta and Odegaard, then it it, it increases our chances of, of making something happen or at least for Odegaard to want it to happen, whether the club can come to an arrangement or not, um, you know, remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, I think Real Madrid would be in a very good position to to kind of ask for a big fee. The good mm. thing that we have going for us is the fact that I don't think he's earning very much money at all at the moment. You know, he's on the wages that he signed when he was 16. So he's on about 20, 25,000 pounds a week, which makes him one of the, you know, he'd be one of the lowest earners in the Arsenal squad at the moment. Um so there's room for us to offer him a bumper contract there, which actually maybe Real Madrid wouldn't. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think that with every game that goes past and the impact and every quote in the Norwegian papers that talks about how good he is, um, the price is going up bit by bit. Just to uh, interrupt here, we've got some breaking news. Jose Mourinho, what I feel goes much further than sadness. Jose Mourinho lays into his players' attitude. If I forget the last 10 minutes of extra time where we did something to get a different result and go through, in the 90 minutes and in the first half of extra time, there was one team that decided to leave everything on the pitch. They left everything there. Sweat, energy, blood. And at the end, the, at the end of the game, they left even tears of happiness. Very humble, very committed. I have to praise them. He's talking about Dinamo Zagreb, of course. On the other side, my team, I repeat, my team, I am there. It didn't look like it was playing an important match it's happening Andrew it's happening third season syndrome is happening right before our eyes I uh, I saw that David Ornstein has tweeted he says there's no break clause in the three and a half year contract that Jose Mourinho signed in November 2019 to become Tottenham manager and he's among the best paid coaches in world football so if THFC <laughs> sack him before deal expires in summer 2023 he'll be entitled to a major payout oh wow Lovely. they're going to have to like uh, pawn one end of the stadium to... Oh. <sighs> Funny. Funny. Anyway. Anyway, let's get back to us and let's talk a little bit about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because, you know, he's been in the news this week, in fairness, um, missed the North London derby. I guess we were looking for him to provide a response tonight. I'm guessing that's what Mikel Arteta was looking for as well. He picked him. That draws a line completely under everything that came before. Do you get any sense that maybe, you know, there was 
I don't want to say pressure, you know, because he's a very experienced player and he's been there, done that, and and there's very little that, you know, hasn't happened to him in his career that that would be unusual for him. But, you know, I'm not going to say he was trying too hard to score. Maybe he wasn't trying hard enough to score. Maybe he was a little too casual uh, on a couple of occasions. But um, what, what do you make of his performance? Do you feel like it was any way impacted by what happened at the weekend? He looked a bit edgy, didn't he? I mean, mm. the ball bounced off him a couple of times in his hold-up play, which isn't wholly unusual for Aubameyang, given he's he's not the world's greatest kind of, uh, you know, with his back to goal. But he he didn't quite look himself. He he kind of, he had that anxious look on his face and he, he seemed like he wasn't willing to forgive himself when he missed the chances. Mm. You know, when Aubameyang scores an early goal you get a completely different Aubameyang sometimes. Yeah. Um, and this season, more than most, he's always kind of looked like he's teetering on the edge of a good or a bad performance. I mean, look, he's... The, I, I think the, the the worst miss was probably the first one. It was, yeah, yeah. I genuinely thought, like, you know, he could go anywhere with the ball there and he's kind of spooned it over. Um, the one where um, I think Erdegaard played him through and he was racing through on goal and he tried the dink over the keeper. Mm. I mean, he tried the right thing, but it was just at that point on the evening, having done what he'd done, I was kind of like, yeah. he's going to miss here. I think he just got the line of his run a little bit wrong there. You know, I think yeah. he could have, he could easily have uh, gone a different direction or, or taken that um, slightly differently. I mean, it's a difficult skill. We, we saw him score a similar kind of goal, didn't we, in the in the FA Cup final? It was that kind of thing where he dinked the ball over the over the goalkeeper. Yeah. But you know, he could also just sort of open himself up and and have a shot on his left foot if he yeah. wants. He's good enough to do that. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, the interesting thing. I mean, he got away from the guy quite easily. I mean, when he was right racing through on goal, and it was you know he. he he could have done anything he wanted to. He could have gone early, but he obviously fancied himself to do what was mm. probably the hardest finish, the dink over the keeper. And yeah, just not quite, not quite as nice. I mean, he, as you said earlier, he was pretty unlucky with the, the, the back heeled attempt from the Martinelli cross. And then... I mean, that was, was great. I mean, that was a brilliant it? attempt in fairness, considering yeah. where the ball yeah, yeah, was. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was amazing. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. So, that, you know, the, the, the keeper's kind of had a had a good evening in that respect and managed to keep him out but um i i i do worry sometimes about him though because you do you, you do feel like sometimes he, he misses an early chance and then you know, particularly this season he misses an early chance and it feels like he's it's playing on his mind so mm. i don't know that the the weekend and being dropped or the rest of it particularly helps that but um you know i did i didn't sort of I didn't not back Arteta in the decision there. I was quite happy for him to make the decision he made. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Look, I mean, I don't know whether he's going off on international break and whether he's going to get a chance to sort of recharge his batteries a bit. I can't I remember what... I don't quite know. I mean, I, was, I, was, I think I was talking to this on the preview podcast to, to Lewis in that uh, Gabon are playing in two red zone countries. So I'm not sure it's possible right. for him to go and play for them during the international break. So he might get some he might get some time off. I, I, I think it's quite interesting because you get a lot of talk about how you know Aubameyang isn't the right guy at centre forward for us. But you know he had the chances tonight. I mean 
those were guilt-edged chances to score goals that normally you would expect him to score at least one of. And I know this isn't the first time that we've said that this uh, this season and, and of late that normally you would expect him to score those chances. But I thought, you know, if you're leaving those misses aside... Um, I'm not going to say he played well, but there were moments where his centre-forward play was pretty good. He played a good ball into Pepe. I don't think Pepe made the most of it on the break at one point, maybe early in the or late in the first half as well. So, you know, there is the argument or the counterpoint that, look, he didn't take the chances, but he was there to, to um, you know, be on the end of those opportunities. So a bad night in front of goal rather than a bad night as an all-round centre-forward, if you like. Yeah, I think he probably suffered a little bit for maybe lacking the automatisms with some of the players around him. Like, I don't think he's... I mean, I know that Sabaya set up um, set up one effort and stuff, but I, I, I don't mm. know that there was necessarily the same kind of connection there that he maybe has with a Saka. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I mean, the team as a whole really didn't click into sort of fourth or fifth gear today. And um, and still we created some chances. Uh, it's just, uh, do, do, you not, do you not worry about the fact that we have games where we just miss all these chances all the time? Yeah, I mean, of course. You know, it's, <laughs> it's costing us a lot this season. And it's a problem that we really, really, really need to rectify because, it, you know, it's quite possible that in a game, you know, maybe even in the next round, you know, the fine margins are going to decide things and we just can't keep doing this. No, I mean, it is a recurring theme this season. You know, if Arteta wants to focus on our lack of security in possession or making the wrong decisions in possession... I'm okay with that. I think that's something that, you know, he can improve and he can work on on the on the training ground. But missing the amount of chances that we miss, it is it is a bit of an issue. I mean, you even think back to the first game against Olympiacos and we scored three absolutely brilliant goals and I'm not trying to take anything away from those whatsoever. Odegaard's goal is brilliant. Gabriel's header is brilliant. Elneny's goal is brilliant. Mm. But you think about the Odegaard chance early on where he put it on uh, Kieran Tierney, I think, or Smith, or I can't remember. One of them just put it on a plate for him and he whiffed it wide. You know, a, a similar position from the one that he scored the weekend, of course, against against Spurs, who we beat 2-1 in the North London Derby. Just a reminder of that, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, but you're right. It is an issue. And I think there is probably, you know, in, in the long or in the medium to long term plans, there's got to be some thinking about how we become more clinical up front. And, uh, you know, I think we're better, in fairness. We're better now than we were a few months ago. There's no question about that. But it is a weakness. It's a weakness in, in our in our play. And because it, it has so much impact on game state. You know what I mean? Mm. In that, like, oh, you miss a couple of chances, you miss a couple of chances, and then you let the first shot in. And all of a sudden... Your, your head's all over the place because you played well, you've made the chances, you haven't taken them, and you're behind. It makes a difference. Whereas if you go out and you make a chance, you score a chance, make a chance, score a chance, you're 2-0 up, and all of a sudden you're completely in control of a game. So your ability to make the right decisions and make the right passes and to, you know, to to 
do what you need to do to the opposition in the, in that sense. Like you can sit off, you can let them have the ball, you can hit them on the break. You know, all of those things are are, are impacted by the chances that you miss. So I think it's really um, it is an issue that I'm sure Arteta is not necessarily tearing his hair out over, but but certainly giving serious consideration to about. Um, you know, as he thinks about where we go for, for the rest of this season, maybe, but certainly next season and, and how you improve that, you know? Yeah, I think it'd be pretty hard for him to tear that hair out. Probably. It is It is uh, hard and plastic, as we know. But, um, I mean, look, we, we did get a side of the lesser-spotted Gabriel Martinelli tonight, yeah. which was... Uh, both interesting and effective. I mean, he was involved in the the red card incident. Certainly a foul. And I were the commentators not in the ground? <laughs> I know they weren't. That's the thing. I think quite often what you're finding now is that with a lot of these games, that the commentators are just doing it from a studio somewhere because they obviously got this idea that the guy had thrown the ball at, at Martinelli, Martinelli. Yeah. and it just that was not the case. But they hadn't seen a replay, and but- they just. Took a, they took but, a guess and got it wrong but, and looked like idiots. But why aren't they in the ground? I mean, I know that uh, are Sky's commentators in the grounds at the weekend? Is like Martin I, Tyler and those, are they in the grounds? Is it only for Premier League games? I mean, I know that, you know, a, a lot of the time, and I, I've worked in, in places like Satanta Sports, for example, where the voiceover booth in there, when I used to go in and do voiceovers, you know, there'd be a guy watching the game, you know, watching a uh, French football game and commentating on the game from inside the voiceover booth you know he's not at the game we all know that that's the case but I just would have thought that like if 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 Martin Keown and Karen Carney and um, the presenter are in the ground why aren't the commentators so I think I think what's happened is when the when the restrictions really tightened up in the UK around Christmas time and it became almost impossible you know it became pointless to send reporters to away games for example like you're not going to send a guy to go and commentate on let's say Milan v Man United at the moment yeah sure sure and I feel like they must have got to a point where they were sending people to some games and then they thought well actually why don't we just save the money and just have everybody sit in the studio you still gotta pay the guy to do the job like you know it's it's uh, they're all yeah I don't know I think it's weird but but clearly they weren't there because they were saying oh he's punched the ball and it's hit Martinelli and oh my goodness oh wow and then they showed a replay of it it didn't go go anywhere near him (laughs) I think was it was it Steve Sidwell on on commentary he was so sure as well he was just like oh well you know yeah (laughs) very weird it Um, was very weird and look it's nice in fairness that the opposition for once uh, the recipients of a ludicrous red card because that's not I mean maybe by the letter of the law it's a show of dissent and he's he's knocked the ball away or whatever but like that's a that's a ridiculous red card I mean I thought it was relatively harsh booking him for the for for the the arm on Martinelli you know I thought Mm. that's harsh but then he really I mean the poor bloke was left in tears in the tunnel I mean he was absolutely devastated and you just thought oh that I mean I felt like that seems pretty unfair and there's me as a football fan completely partisan desperate for Arsenal to hold out I don't want them to be with 11 men although having said that we were so terrible against 10 men the other day that you know I knew things were going to potentially still be sticky Um, I felt really sorry for the bloke that was a really really harsh decision but they're they're, you know they're they're quite rigid some of these Mm. European referees in these competitions it was harsh but I didn't feel in any way sorry for him oh I just that's 
you know, <laughs> that's where we differ on this one. I saw him in the tunnel and I saw him like holding his shirt up to his eyes and I'm not sure he was crying per se. And I was like, whatever guy, hard luck. I mean, that's a, that's a harsh red car, but I don't feel sorry for you at all. I just don't have it in me. Really. Sorry. God, heartless, aren't you? Well, look, you know, I, <laughs> I, want, I want all of our Arsenal lives to be as easy as possible. And if this makes our life True. a little bit yeah. easier. And to be fair, we were a little bit better with 10 men than we were with 10 men against Tottenham. A little bit. Not much, but a little bit. Sufficiently better. I mean, you, you have an extra man. It's like, Christ, you can just pass the ball around them if you really want to just create the overloads in the triangles and just pass them out of the game. Instead, we sort of boot it long, we sit deep, and it's like, well, we've got an extra man in defense now. No, guys, it's not how it works. Push up the field a bit and like make the most of that advantage. There's another training session for, for Arteta to, to work on over the interlull, the 10 v 11 sessions. Yeah, I mean, we were so used to being the ones who went down to 10 men historically, weren't yeah. we? You know, under the Arsene Wenger, we always were down to 10 men, but spinning it the other way, yeah. I thought I was, look, it, it, going back to the Martinelli thing, mm. he obviously came on and he created a chance and he, you know, ran around and showed pace. And I, I just, I always get excited when he comes on. Always, always, mm. always hopeful because there's a bit of me that thinks he can bring something to the team that we don't have. And I just... It has been frustrating, and I do wonder why he's not necessarily got the game time. And I know that you know we've been playing with very technical players who are kind of more midfielder in their mm. kind of outlook on the game um, out on the flanks and stuff. But I just how do how do you fit him in if he doesn't if he's if that's what your preference is? I'm kind of I, I get slightly concerned that there isn't going to be a place for him because well, yeah, I think it might be at centre forward. I think ultimately that's where where he's going to play. I do. I think that's that's where they're going to look to use him. And I wonder, like I was saying on the blog today, I just wonder if there's a bit of fine-tuning going on in terms of the coaching that he's getting. You know, look, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli, very, very different players. You know, Smith-Rowe and Willian or whoever you put out, uh, out there on the left-hand side, very different players. If Arteta wants that technical player out there for most of a game... You know, I can see why he starts with that. There may be moments in games where he wants something different from there, and that's where we could use Martinelli. But, you know, look, I'm, uh, I've said before, I'm not quite as antsy as some people, but I, I like you, I just like watching him. Mm. There's something about this guy when he comes on, the energy, the, you know, the, the quality that he has. He was on the pitch, what, two minutes or three minutes, and he creates that brilliant chance for, for, um, uh, for, for Aubameyang. Yeah. Um, you know he makes things happen that is that is what he does and i you know i i need to see a bit more of him i think we all need to see a bit more of him but i don't at the same time think that he's somebody that arteta doesn't like or doesn't have any mm. faith in i think there's probably just something uh, of a longer game going on that we're not necessarily aware of and arteta isn't particularly forthcoming about what he's planning and what he's thinking about certain things you know yeah, I've, I do want. I mean, I've noticed a kind of um, there's a bit of a pattern sometimes when players are sort of signed up to longer deals. He doesn't mind taking the risk with dropping them. You know, he did it with of, Saka, didn't he last he season? Did it with Saka last season. I think now that he's pinned down Rob Holding, he doesn't necessarily feel like he has to feel too guilty about the fact that he's had a long run and now he can drop him for a bit. Um, you know, Martinelli's 
potentially another one obviously got into the into well got the new deal in the summer and um yeah i maybe maybe there's just a sort of yeah he's sort of just it's weighing up all of the risks and you know all of the off-field stuff. Mm. How do you persuade people to play and or sign up for new deals and all the rest of it? I guess it's very difficult being a manager, isn't it? All of that kind of stuff you don't see on a day-to-day basis. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot goes on behind the scenes, and you know we get one version of things, um, you know, in press conferences or or what we see week in week out, and we can make our own conclusions and jump to our own conclusions at time, but at times, but you know, Martinelli is still only 19. He's got a long contract yeah. with us. We wouldn't have given him uh, that long contract if there wasn't a plan for him. That's where my my um, little flag of hope lies. So mm-hmm. we'll see. So look, I mean, anything else in particular from the game that stood out for you or from the performance? Um, I mean, I think there were some tired legs out there. Yeah, I know that they referenced Tierney looking a little bit tired jogging back, but I do think that he just sometimes naturally looks quite mm. quite tired um, as, a, as an individual. Um, I thought, uh, you know, Bellerin had a sort of interesting game in the first half where he was sort of trying to make things happen, but couldn't quite. I mean, he's obviously, um, you know, I, I, I've i been really impressed with Cedric, let's say, in the last few weeks. Not yeah. to the point where I think Cedric's, you know, a world beater or anything, but he's definitely performing at a level that I wasn't sure that he was going to reach. And there's you mm. know, he is providing very reasonable competition to, to Bellerin. Um, really interesting, obviously, that he got the nod for the North London derby ahead of uh, Hector. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, I guess we're kind of looking to the future like for more deals like that for other positions. Yeah. Um, I mean, what did you think of the way that the fullbacks were told to play? Because, you know, Smith-Rowe and, and Tierney combine really well. We, we're not sure that Pepe and Bellerin combine quite as well. But it was interesting to look at the stats after the game. And I don't think Bellerin really overlapped at all when you think about the way he played in the first game and he got forward really well he was quite good from a, a an attacking perspective but didn't get forward at all in this game now whether that was down to instruction whether that was down to the way Olympiakos played I don't quite know but even Tierney didn't really overlap as much as he normally does you know so maybe there was the instruction from Arteta not to do that but Tierney made six clearances in the game Bellerin made six clearances in the game Gabriel made eight mm. clearances in the game. I think Louise also made six clearances in the game. So he was expecting something from Olympiakos, um, and that maybe had an impact on the way he asked his fullbacks to perform. Yeah. I mean, who do you think he'll select at West Ham on Sunday? Do you think Bellerin will keep his place, or do you think he'll go with Cedric again? I mean, I assume Tierney will play. I mean, he just yeah. he always does. I assume, can, but. I assume he will. I think he'll go for Cedric. I think he'll go for Cedric. I'm, I'm mm. curious because I thought tonight might be the a game in which he could because I think Louise was was iffy. You know, he had one of those iffy games that didn't well. It cost mm. didn't particularly cost us the goal. It wasn't like a massive Louise mistake that cost us the goal, but you know, uh, he wasn't great for that chance in the first half when the guy, the keeper just pumped a long ball downfield and all of a sudden we were opened up all over the place. You know, that was not good. And I think Louise has got to, to manage his his defensive line uh, better than that. But he did make a couple of block shots and, and what have you. But it just felt to me like 
his performance was very, very uh, informed by the schedule and how often he's played of late. So I was a little bit surprised that he didn't uh, change one of his centre half. So I'm not 100% sure what he's going to do. It might depend on what people are doing during the international break. I mean, Holding's not going anywhere. Pablo Marie's not going anywhere. Cedric is going away. Um, you know, I don't, I don't quite know what he's going to do. It wouldn't surprise me if he picked Cedric for Sunday. But it I, I, there's a bit of me that thinks he might put Pablo Marie in if 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 they've got kind of Suchek and Antonio and potentially mm. yeah, I don't know I'm not I, I kind of and I quite like what Pablo Marie has offered this season I think you know Arteta's managed him quite well bringing him in and out of games seemingly because of you know his specificity as it were mm. um, he's tried to make sure that there is game time being shared around with that defensive quartet to make sure that I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I read Tim's article about whether or not you'd give, whether or not, you know, <laughs> David Louise might get another yeah. deal. And I think, you know, I think the stars are aligning for him to get another deal. I just yeah. get the feeling that Arteta wants to, to give him one. And this run of games at the moment might be part of mm. that process of just trying to get it over the line. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a head and heart thing going on there for me, you know, a uh, head and maybe gut. Uh, my gut says, no, I can't take any more. Yeah. And my head sort of sees where Tim's argument is, you know, it's, and it's it's yeah. well thought out and it makes sense. But then there's that, that sort of feeling in, in the pit of your stomach about... It's the yeah. four Saturdays that he ruins in your year. Yeah. That yeah. You, can't, you, you can't get over, right? Like, in fairness, I think he's been better this season than he was in his first season. Part yeah, of his first I, season, though, I, was that was that like, you know, the Emery free throw. Yeah, exactly. Where he went, fuck that guy, and like he was the most obvious example of like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having this guy at all. And where you stand on that is is a is another question. You know, um, should he be more professional and just do the best that he can? Mm. But you know, he still managed to pick up penalties and red cards under Arteta as well. You know. I don't know. I just, I worry that, look, if he stays for another year and he's not someone we're relying on, I could probably just about live with it. But if he's staying to be anything close to a regular first choice player, I'm just not, I'm just not convinced that, uh, you know, that his legs will do it. At some point we have to move on. Mm. Exactly. This summer would be good, but anyway, that's it. Uh, let's let's mention Kieran Tierney. Did you enjoy his um, his uh, on the mic slot that they do on on Arsenal dot com? Uh, like, I know this is this is not something they're going to be able to do when crowds are back in the stadium, and we all want crowds and fans to be back in the stadium. But if you can find some new and interesting ways to produce hashtag content during the the pandemic and the absence of fans. Uh, you know, there was one with Matt Ryan, wasn't there, in the game that he played? Yeah. What was yeah. that? That was the Villa game? Yeah, the Villa game when yeah, it was his debut. Yeah, we lost. lost. And he's, yeah. yeah, he conceded inside the first two minutes, which wasn't his fault, just let me say that. But it was quite an interesting video, and I thought the Tierney, the Tierney one was interesting as well um, with subtitles, you know, because, of course, you can't understand what, what players are saying. It's nothing to do with his broad <laughs> Scottish accent. There was one subtitle where they definitely messed out the... the Fucking like yeah, you know they did they they, just, they bleeped him they or just sort of yeah 
And they even they even um, did like the uh, the scrambly bit over his mouth stuff. You know, I guess it's a football club. They've got to produce like wholesome family content for everyone to sit down and watch on YouTube and what have you. You know, yeah. no, but it is, it is interesting because really, it's 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 no different to you or I playing five aside and kind of screaming at your teammates and mm. being huffed off when they mess up or you know <laughs> calling for passes that don't come your way or being pissed off when Fuck players sake, don't man. make runs in front of you or yeah. trying to explain away your own mistakes because you know you've made a bad pass um it is it is it is good quality content i i mean uh, i think the, the the arsenal media team do really well at kind of mixing things up and trying new things so kudos to them but um i mean uh, who wouldn't want to play with kieran tierney i mean yeah. it's just He's just fantastic. I just, I, you just watch him. He just gives everything all the time. He's always running. He's and, you know, technically he's just really, really tight. You know, really tight. Um, I do, I do think that you know if he, you know, if if Aubameyang moves on in a couple of years' time and he's still there, he really would be for me a proper candidate for 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 the captaincy. Yeah, for sure. And I think we forget he's still only twenty three. You know, he's he's yeah, young yeah. and. You know, he's still developing as a player and he's hugely experienced because of all the the football that he played at, at Celtic as well. So, yeah, look, you know, if he can continue to stay fit, if we can help him to continue to stay fit by, you know, signing an actual backup left back or somebody to, you know, provide some cover for him in certain games, that would be, that would be useful too because, mm. you know, he is... He is really important and there are going to be games where the aches or the strains or the niggles or whatever it might be, you know, require him to sit down and we can't do that at the moment. That's the thing. I mean, we can play Cedric there and he did okay. I think that's fine. But, you know, you you miss something when you don't have a natural left back in in that position. So, fingers crossed. Just very finally, you know, there is an interlull after the West Ham game. Um the schedule this season, the workload, the, the 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 amount of football that players are playing in a really short period of time is huge. So for some countries to be playing three games in this two weeks feels absolutely absurd, doesn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty mad when you can see that the season is going to end and then the, we're just going to roll straight into the Euros as well. Mm. And I'm assuming that there may even be some friendlies before that to, you know, squeeze in because cl- teams tend to have a little bit of prep. It's 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 pretty mad. I mean, mm. in the case of um, ML Smith-Rowe, what they've done with the under-21 European Championships is they've actually split the summer's tournament into two different bits. So they're going to play the group stage. So three games of the group stages are going to be played uh, in the interlal that's coming up and then the group stages will end and then the teams will play the second half of the tournament in the summer. In, so that's why they're packing in wow. three games at under 21 level. Um, I think that's Hungary and Slovenia, Slovakia or, or Slovenia. Slovenia. Yeah. One of the two. Um, apologies for not knowing which one. We should get um, that right. So that's I'll why look the under 21 levels. Uh... No, no, go oh, You've just broken up there. Sorry, you go ahead. Uh, no, well, that's why the under twenty ones are kind of having all those games packed in. But the idea that you in, in in the middle, I say in the middle. I mean, the pandemic is still ongoing, and I understand that they want to play as many games as possible. The international teams because they haven't had that many opportunities. But it is absolutely mad assuming that players are going to travel all around Europe mm. at this point when 
you know, just just yeah. be patient, you know, just be patient, bide your time, you'll get your international football. But it, I guess it's all about money. And, TV um, contracts and things like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's 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 mad because the, the, the appetite is not there for these games from a supporter point of view. Well, that's it. I don't you know, know anyone who particularly needs to kind of sit down and watch some World Cup qualifiers eighteen months in advance right uh, now. Um, you know, I think if you, I think you're right. If you were to say to people, look, because everything has been so weird and surreal, and since the lockdown, you know, and, and football restarted last was it last June? You know, it feels yeah. like there's kind of been no break whatsoever and i know we've been used to the football calendar getting condensed and everything else but but now because of the proliferation of games the way they're scheduling them for tv because all the games are on tv so you've got a game every night of the week basically you know it's fucked with our 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 internal calendars if you like about when football is supposed to be on and when it's supposed to be played i guarantee you that even the most fervent fans of international football if you said to them you can have a two-month break from football and we can just start again later in the year. And hopefully at that point, people will be uh, vaccinated and people will be uh, able to get back into stadiums. And football can become more of the the experience that we've all grown up with and been used to rather than this sort of facsimile of what it is. I think mm. most people would say, yeah, Give me a couple of months off. I'll recharge my football batteries and we'll just fucking dive headfirst into it again and it should be good again. Instead, we're going to have these tournaments that feel kind of just pointless. Like, who gives a fuck? I think there's a there's a debate raging because I think Alexander Seferin, the UEFA um, president, has basically said that the countries that are hosting this upcoming Euros, which mm. I think is spread over 12 countries, he's basically demanding that all of those countries be allowed to have at least some fans in the stadium, which, I mean, if you're not ready, you're not ready. So I don't know what he's going to yeah. do, just pull them and put them somewhere where they are willing to take those risks. I mean, it's... It's it's, bad. it's it's really weird. I mean, I mean he's obviously keen to keep the product pure and have yeah. fans there in some way, shape or form because the TV audiences will go up as a consequence because people will just be more interested in something that isn't played against backdrops of empty stands. But, um, yeah, I mean, more arguments brewing and obviously, again, money at the heart of it all. I mean, I mean, the idea of playing the European Championships in 12 different countries and whatever many different <laughs> cities was like shit in the first place. It, it really was. It was idea, yeah. yeah, it was a terrible idea and remains a terrible idea, but now has, has, has uh, diminished to the point where, I don't know, what's the worst, the cherry Coke of football tournaments? I can't remember. Like just the worst ideas that people have ever had. It's, it's right up there with that. Like, I mean, of course, nobody could foresee a pandemic, but like you can you can react to what's going on. You can see what's happening now and adjust and make different plans. And like, if there's going to be no fucking fans anyway, Jesus. Well, the funny thing is, is that they did react last season and did exactly the opposite of what they are desperate to do this summer. So Mm. they moved, you know, the, the champions league and the Europa league to single venues and had all of the games played in a mini tournament style and everybody was really into it and it's something that they're thinking about doing in the future but for some reason they seem absolutely desperate to continue playing 
this particular Euros in the 12 countries that mm. it was originally destined for. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some kind of like insurance thing going on. I don't know what's going on, but it does seem kind of mad that it, and very counterintuitive. Well, look, that's um, something we'll have to deal with during the summer and you know, hopefully, like fingers crossed for everybody saying things are, are, are improving by that point. But, you know, at the moment, it's very difficult to convince anyone that, that players across Europe um, with the current restrictions, with the current problems, with the current risks are going to fly and travel and mingle and then play three games. And, you know, maybe part of the reason why I think this season will be I'm not saying it's going to be forgettable just from our point of view because it hasn't gone as well as we would like. I just think in general terms, it's been a really low quality season for really obvious reasons. And much of that is down to what's being asked of the players. And it's not going to get any better between now and May or whenever the fuck this season ends, you know? Yeah, everything has an asterisk next to it, doesn't it? It does, it does. All right, well, look, we will leave it there for now. Um, As ever, great to talk to you, Andrew. Um, And thank you for being here post-game to enjoy the Tottenham fun and to, you know, put the Arsenal stuff in perspective as well. Um, Yeah. That's it. I don't. I'm, I'm normally much better at uh, closing out these things. I've made an absolute bollocks of this. So, Andrew Allen, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. It's late at night, man. What can what can we? Yeah, do? it yeah. really is. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter. He is at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. And if you'd like some more Andrew podcast goodness in your ears, just check out the Left Field podcast, of which he is the co-host. Lots of football chat and other sporting chat in there as well. Left Field podcast. Look it up in your favorite podcasting app. Right. Not a lot left to say this evening, other than we uh, are continuing to be amused by what happened to Tottenham. Jose, please tell us, how has that happened? tonight good question hmm what could it be 
Maybe one day we will find out the answer. We have got a game against West Ham on Sunday before we go into the interlull. A big game. We will preview that for you in podcast form for Patreon members. Uh, we'll have that out for you tomorrow evening. Well, this evening. No, well, it depends. well, it's tomorrow evening now, but when you're listening to this, probably it is Friday. So we will have that out Friday evening. We'll look ahead to the West Ham game, what we might do, and all the rest. There might even be some ancillary laughing at Tottenham in that podcast, too. I mean, you cannot look a gift horse in the mouth, as the old saying goes. Can't uh, pass up these opportunities. As ever, I just want to say thank you very much indeed uh, for being here, for listening, for subscribing, for for everything. Uh, I hope everyone out there is doing okay. I hope you're well. I hope you stay well. Look after yourselves and all the rest. It's all still a bit weird out there. So, you know, be careful, uh, be sensible and everything else. Again, for all the people who've been in touch over the last few weeks, it's uh, it's been amazing. It's really, really helped. It has really, really helped. And, uh, you know, it helps when Arsenal win games and qualify for things and, you know, don't make us all angry as well. But you guys have been uh, a huge, huge comfort uh, during what has been a, a difficult time and remains a difficult time. But I'm enjoying being back at work and I'm enjoying uh, talking to you guys on on these things and, and everywhere else. So, look, mind yourselves. James and I will be here uh, on Monday to talk about what happens in the West Ham game. We will have a lot of interlull content for you as well, uh, you know, to try and help everybody through a couple of Arsenal-free weeks, even though that might not be the worst thing in the world uh, for some people. But we'll do our best for you. So uh, until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Josie, suck my big round Gunasaurus Borgia Glacic. Harry, 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 I you, you fucker. Harry, shut it, you fucking bampot. That Gareth Bale is fucking boofing, man. Ah, get it up here, your bums at the fucking windy. Well done, Pepe. Well done, you absolute roaster. That dober tried to break my fucking jaw. Fucking hell, he's hit the post. A big job he's missed it. For fuck's sake, man, that was a ball here away if he going in. Harry, your dacelles Avon, you c- 